0: I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton. As the premier independent bookstore in the Hamptons, Bookhampton has a highly curated selection of books for readers of all ages, unique one-of-a-kind gifts, and exciting author events. Browse their fabulous staff suggestions online at bookhampton.com. Hi, I'm excited to be here today with Gemma Hartley, who is a journalist and author specializing in feminism, pop culture, health and wellness, and more. She has been published in Women's Health, Glamour, The Washington Post, Redbook, and other publications. Her article in Harper's Bazaar, called Women Aren't Nags We're Just Fed Up, was viewed two billion times. That's billion and sparked a national discussion about emotional labor. Her book, Fed Up, a follow-up to the article, comes out November 13th. Gemma lives with her husband and three children in Reno, Nevada. Welcome, to Gemma.
1: Hi, I'm happy to be
0: here. So, okay, what did it feel like to write an article that got viewed two billion times? That's insane. It, it, was.
1: <laughs> it was. It was nuts because I had no... I had no idea it was going to go viral. You don't really have a sense of those sort of things. So it was, it blew me away when it was shared like, you know, half a million times within a week. I didn't even know articles could do that. And it just, it blew my mind because I wrote this thinking it was just going to reach like a small number of women that, you know, look just like me, have lives like me and, you know, would relate to me. But it, struck a chord in a really big way.
0: (laughs) And just to back up, I should have started by saying the article and the book, the article's premise. Why don't don't you tell it?
1: So the article revolved around a Mother's Day incident where I had asked my husband to get a cleaning service for me. And in doing so, I wanted him to call around, get references, do all of that sort of invisible work that I normally do, and to sort of see how that feels. And of course, I didn't tell him this expressly, (laughs) and he did not get that from me asking him to do this. So he called one service, decided it was too expensive and that he could just clean the bathrooms himself on Mother's Day (laughs) while I took care of the house and the kids and all of this, you know, pent up resentment (laughs) started coming out. And I noticed that there was a gift wrap box in the middle of our closet. It had been there for days. He had gotten it down to wrap, you know, the present that he got me since he didn't get me what I had asked for. And I just just sort of like broke down and was like, why, why do I have to tell you to do everything? Why do I have to tell you to put this away? Why don't you just notice it yourself? Why am I the one that has to be responsible for everything that happens inside the house? And then when we were having that conversation, obviously, it put him on the defensive. And it was sort of then me managing his emotions while we were in the middle of that fight. So it was sort of this aha moment that I was doing a lot of this invisible work that my
0: husband just had no idea was happening. And so you turned it into this amazing article. Did it get posted first on the Harper's Bazaar website? I'm looking for the mechanics here. I need to <laughs> yes. I need to replicate this with something I write. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how on
1: earth anyone could replicate this because I had no idea going into it. But yes, I had pitched it right after Mother's Day. Yep. And then it didn't publish for another six months or so. <laughs> and then it just blew up. I thought it would have, you know, sort of been past its time because I'm like, oh, no one wants to read a Mother's Day article
0: in September, like at the end of September. But it... It blew up. And the views, did you find that people relate to it mostly Americans or all throughout the world?
1: I got messages from people in India, Chile, the UK, Australia. It was so many different places, but obviously in America, it was where I got the most response. That was where it originally published, and that was really where it seemed to strike a chord because I think... Our culture really has
0: a problem with uh, acknowledging emotional labor. Yeah, I was going to ask, why do you think this (laughs) struck a chord in America? (laughs) So you think that, you know, this is some previously unspoken thing that went on, right? That women just picked up the ball and ran with it. We just, that's just what you did, right? Or what you do. And it didn't even like warrant a conversation almost until you sort of threw this into the forefront because so many people have this dynamic in their relationships in a way, right?
1: Yeah, and I think really the term emotional labor was coined by Arlie Russell Hochschild and it was just describing the emotion work that you do in the service sector. And in recent years, it had been expanding. And so I sort of, took the term in the way that it had been expanding since around 2015 and ran with it with this, you know, more umbrella-type approach that connects all these things that didn't really have that, like, connection before. Mm-hmm. So the emotion management work while also doing the home management work. And I think having language that really described that phenomenon— was a
0: really big part of why this went viral, because we didn't have language for it before. I feel like you totally summed up emotional labor for me when you wrote in the book, taking out the trash is great, but taking the responsibility to notice when it needs to be emptied is where it's really at. Yeah. Because right? that's the difference. It's Yes. Like you-
1: it's not the division of physical labor, because when I looked at my marriage, my husband did half the work at least, but... I was someone reminding him
0: to do all of that work. Right. Like he was doing it for you.
1: Yes. It was, he was helping me, which, you know, makes all of it my responsibility. Right. And so it was this dynamic where everything in the home really was my responsibility and anything that he did was helping me instead of sharing in the responsibility of our life. Yeah.
0: I feel like I'm usually like, would you mind, da, 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 right? Yeah. Like, would you mind doing this? Yeah, or, could you help could you me could, out could, with this? Yeah, could you do a quick favor for me? Yeah. Or, <laughs> the other thing I thought was so great that I was like, is she watching in my house as she's writing this? Okay. When you started chapter three with the quote, just let me do it. So I say, just let me do it about 100 times a day. I feel like I complain about it, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have all these bills and I have all this to do. And then my husband says something like, well, give me something to do. What can I do? And I'm like, oh. I'll just do it. (laughs) You're like, I got it. It's okay. I just sort of wanted to complain about it. I don't know why I say that, but obviously you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, it's absolutely something that we do because we're really efficient at doing this work because we've been practicing it our whole lives. So it takes a lot of work to hand it over to someone else because they're learning these skills for the first time. And so handing it over to your partner isn't like, automatically switching the balance. Mm -hmm. You're still holding a lot of that weight while they're learning how to do this work.
0: And you had mentioned you saw that even when your kids, your son and your daughter were like four and two or something and your son, you would have to be like, oh my gosh, amazing job picking up your clothes and your daughter just like put it all in the hamper and that's just what she did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they really pick up on that. They can't really verbalize what they're seeing in this dynamic, but they're internalizing it. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to see how early those dynamics can start playing out, how those beliefs
0: are, you know, sort of getting set. And do you ever think, because I kept asking myself this question as I was reading your book, like, do women do this because it's sort of our competitive advantage? Like, is this something that's better, that we just do better, and therefore we do it more often? Or is it just that it's fallen in our laps for so long that we had before like kind of didn't question it. Like, do we have a better ability? I mean, I'm very open about my strengths and weaknesses and I'm not bad at managing all this stuff and keeping a hundred details in my head, but I am pretty bad at like other tasks, which maybe are more stereotypically in the husband's arena. Like, I don't know, not to start going into full on gender stereotypes, but you know, is it that, or is that just beside the point? I really think it's
1: beside the point because all the research that I looked at showed that we don't have this, you know, hardwired male, female binary. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have these specific skill sets. We're taught them from a very young age. And I think it seems really natural to us because we've seen it done for so many years, you know, with our peers, with our Parents, everyone is reinforcing this idea that women are good at this and men are not good at this. And it's just not true Mm -hmm. because I talk to other men, I talk to people in queer relationships. These dynamics play out all over the place. It just generally falls into that gendered stereotype because, you know, heteronormativity is a real big
0: cultural influence for us. Hmm. Heteronormative. I, I have not heard that before. That's a good <laughs> one. Is that bad of me? I don't know. Like living under a rock or something? I loved how you were so open about your particular relationship, which is great because it's, it's harder sometimes, I feel like, when you're reading nonfiction to... Only take the facts and the research, but when an author like how you did it, so well, sort of weaves in her own personal, his or her own personal story, feel like it, you know, really like makes all the messages hit home more. And then I was wondering, you know, when you were talking about your husband and you were figuring out how to sort of bridge the gap and sort of solve this problem, if if it's anything solvable, you kind of realized that part of the problem was your own. And I was like, it's part of the problem mine too, because <laughs> you said, you know. The truth is, this is what you wrote in the book, the truth is that my constant meddling and unintentional undercutting were exactly the things holding Rob back from taking on emotional labor with confidence. So that even though you would like your partner to jump in and be an equal partner, not just a helper, not like an assistant, but a true partner, which is what you wrote about, you have to be willing to then not have them do it your way. Just They have to just do it yeah. their way too. Is that So I felt like, were you saying sort of it's not, it's not you, it's me, like I have to change too? I think it's both. I think there is a meeting
1: point in the middle. And when I say that, you know, I need to take a step back and let him do it, that doesn't mean that we don't have the same like shared standard in what we want our life to look like and how we want things to run, how we want the house to look. We can agree on those things. Mm -hmm. He can get there a different way. And I think that both men and women have to do the work to bridge that gap, because there definitely were deeply held biases that I had, even while writing the book and researching it. I still thought, you know, but maybe I'm just better at this stuff. Like, you know, it's not hardwired, but, you know, I have that natural advantage, Mm -hmm. which I don't, I don't think I do. If I'm logical about it, I know that that's not true. And the more that I have stepped back and let my husband take over, I'm like, oh, no, he's, as fully competent as I am in this realm. He's just learning it for the first time. And it's been about a year now since, you know, that article came out. And we've been talking through this and working through it in our marriage. And it's like a night and day difference. So I have a lot of hope for for other couples. A lot of people ask me, like, do you have any hope? Like, is is it just totally hopeless? And I'm like, "I, I have a lot of hope that now that we're going to start talking about it, that we have more specific language for it, that it's going to be easier to bridge
0: that gap. So what is your specific advice? So there are listeners out there, they're thinking, oh my gosh, I can totally relate to this too. Now what do I do? So I think there,
1: (laughs) it's going to be different for everyone. But I think really just opening up communication about it is really important. I think I spent a lot of time resenting my husband in my head and not actually talking through this with him because I thought it was too much work to you know, talk through it and make these changes. And it is, it's a lot of work and it's a long process, but I think that's really the first thing. And I think what really helped with me and my husband was I was writing this book. And so I was looking at all of the underlying cultural roots of this And that sort of took the blame out of the equation Mm -hmm. where it's not like you're doing something wrong or I'm doing something wrong. We've been raised to think this way and we need to unlearn all of that, you know, internal biases that we've been raised with. So it was really helpful to approach it from that standpoint, like a more cultural standpoint than saying, well, you're just not pulling your weight. You're not doing your job. Like, we're just conditioned to do things a certain way, and maybe they're not, maybe it's not serving us, and let's look at how we can make our relationship better. And it really does. I think having my husband do more emotional labor has really brought him into our life more. It used to be that I was sort of running his life for him, Mm -hmm. and he didn't have that really deep connection with me or with our kids or with our life at home, I think it opens up a whole new world for men when they take on a more active
0: role. Hmm. It's like you don't think about the satisfaction that they might be missing out on.
1: Yeah, there is. Because we talk about emotional labor a lot as a burden because women are usually shouldering all of it. And that is burdensome and it's exhausting. It eats up our time and our emotional energy. But then when you give some of that up, it really like balances it out for both people mm-hmm. where you can both enjoy it more. And I think another thing that you really enjoy is having a partner who really understands you on this new level. i Didn't even think that was going to be something. I didn't even realize that it was part of the equation until it happened. And I was like, oh, man, now when he comes home from work, even if he hasn't been around, I know that he understands my life Mm -hmm. in a way that he
0: did not get at all before. You know, I feel like... My husband he's a stepfather to my kids, and he really did not know what he <laughs> was in for at all. And he's been so amazing about like picking up the slack and doing stuff and or I shouldn't say it that way, I guess it's another I have to fix all my language now about this labor situation. Um, but at the end of the day, the other day, you know, he was really helpful. I mean, he was in it all day. he like from start to finish. and at the end of the day, he was like, "Oh, you did it." And I was like, "Well, we did it because it felt like such teamwork. And then I was so much less. Angry and tired and frustrated than the days where I feel like it wasn't like that, which I guess is an obvious point. But anyway, yeah, no, it's just like being on the same team and like letting him know that I saw it because then yeah. he felt good about it, as opposed to just being like, oh yeah, it was a really long day and like you know whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've noticed. I talk a lot about like you know, don't ask for help, don't right. like over praise, but. Now we both, like, say thank you to each other a lot. Like, we see each other for what we're doing. And that's a really new thing in our relationship. I would always have to notice when he did something before, like, oh, my gosh, the kitchen looks so amazing. And now, you know, he doesn't expect or look for that validation. And I think that's really changed things for us, not you know, not feeling like if I don't validate his work, he's going to just stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fear that a lot of, People have. I had a friend that was like, my husband did the laundry, and I like must have praised him like five times because I just want him to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's like, like doing it from a place of fear, just being like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I really, really want you to do it's this like again. Behavior
0: modification, right? Yes. It's like what I do with the kids sometimes, right? If they do something, yeah, you know, like catch them being good, right? Like, you know, make sure they notice that you notice. Look yes. how nicely you're sitting at the dinner yes. table, you know?
1: which is fine to
0: do with. Children. Children right. Because, they're, <laughs>
1: you know, they're learning right. and they need that. <laughs> but like when you're talking about your partner, right. you should be able to expect a certain level of shared responsibility without having to go over the top praising them.
0: And your husband was cool with you writing all of this about him? Because I know there were, times, there were times where I was like, huh, is he going to like this? I mean, I don't know, obviously, your husband, but, and he seems like an amazing guy. But there was so much about, you know, the things he didn't do at the beginning, you know, like the contrasts that you do. And I know you said at the end he's like an equal partner now, and he's, in it and he's totally supportive of the book and the article and everything, and I'm sure that's the case. But w- were there any stories that he had an issue with, or was he just on board the whole time? He was on board the whole
1: time. I didn't have to ask his permission or, you know, ask for him to support me in this. He was there the whole time. And part one, which really draws on most of the difficult parts of our marriage, I had him read before I sent it off to my editor. And I'm like, you need to tell me if you're not OK with any of this, because like, right. we, you know, it does. It goes pretty deep into our relationship and it brings up some uncomfortable stuff and he brought it back and he was like, you're a little bit too nice right here. You're oh, a little bit too forgiving okay. right here. And my editor made the same note. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's he's doing fine. <laughs> and then, uh, then he didn't read the rest of the book until it was all the way written. And I'm like, you need to finish the
0: book. It gets better. <laughs> like, it's not just all me being mean to you. I promise. That's really funny. So you got engaged when you were 19. You got married when you were 20. And you had your children when you were 22, 24, and 26. Yes. In fact, you wrote this great Red Book article that said, it was called, Stop Saying I'm Too Young to Have Three Kids. In fact, I just randomly want to read this quote because I just thought it was so awesome. Instead of telling a young mother that she must have her hands full, tell her how well-behaved her kids are or how beautiful her family is. Tell her she's a warrior. Tell her she's doing it right. That's just awesome for all moms. Yeah. What, what, any comment that people give you. Yeah.
1: Right? Like, Just in general, don't make, like,
0: (laughs) shitty comments to moms. Yeah, that's always nice. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So do you think, and maybe this is hard to say because you're in it and this is your experience, but you got married at 20. A lot of people out there get married at 40 and start having their kids much later with 20 years of, you know, double the life experience before they go into a marriage. Do you think that you're— the age at which you sort of entered into this gave you a different viewpoint than maybe older people going into a relationship? Or do you think it's colored the way you see things or is it too hard to?
1: I mean, it's hard to say what my life would have looked like if, it, you know, I, know, I had sort of it, a bad question. Yeah, it's, but. it's one of those, you know, opposite right. lives, opposite world. But I definitely know that it has colored the way that I see the world and how emotional labor has evolved in my relationship and I talk a lot about that in the book. You know, we we were like high school sweethearts. Mm-hmm. There has been no other, you know, major relationship. And so that definitely makes it interesting to look at from that perspective. But I think that it gave me an advantage in some ways because we are young and we are very able to modify our behaviors. I wrote another piece about getting married young, saying that in a lot of ways it was easier than getting married when I was older because neither of us were really set in our ways. Mm-hmm. And so we've changed a lot together over the years, and a lot of that is luck. I we look back at that sometimes and we're just like, "Man, we got really lucky because 20-year-olds getting married is probably <laughs> not the best idea in the world." But, you know, it's 10 years later and
0: things are going good. So I think a lot of marriage, I mean, maybe that's the wrong thing to say. I was going to say I think there's a lot of luck in marriage in that you don't know how your lives are going to unfold, both your individual lives and your lives together. So I think every relationship takes just a little dose of, of luck that you sort of navigate together.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. I just think 20 takes a lot of luck because you are not a fully formed person right. at 20. Right. Like yeah. your, your prefrontal cortex is mm-hmm. still developing at that age. So I look back at that and I'm like, wow, we, you know, lucked out. Yeah.
0: I was thinking, I was like, wow, that's early to be totally fed up. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> Imagine if she had been through this for like 30 years and she's like 55 or I don't know, something, yeah. you know what I mean? Which
1: is why it was really neat for me to have so many women from different generations reach totally. out to me and just really deeply relate to yeah. this No, because it's not, you're
0: not even talking necessarily about you. It's the cultural yeah. thing, you know, it's it's beyond just you and your relationships, yeah. which is nice. But
1: it was, you know, when I went and wrote that first article, yeah. I I didn't necessarily know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was across generations yeah. and across all different life experiences, which was really exciting for me when I got to write the book because then I got to
0: delve into all of that and see why. So what happened? You wrote the article and then did someone call you and say you have to turn this into a book? Or what happens? Did you go <laughs> yeah, out and find yeah, somebody? Or? About
1: four people called me and asked me, could I turn this into a book? And um, Was it the publishers or
0: agents? It or? was
1: agents. Okay. And I, I had some editors reach out to me directly as well, but I ended up signing with my agent and drafting a proposal. Within a month from Publishing the article, we were signing a book contract. That's crazy. It was so fast. Wow. <laughs> and then I had six months to write the book. So it was a really fast and furious process. Yeah,
0: I was just thinking that article was only last year and now the book is like in my hands. Yeah, so. it's it's here. It's out like tomorrow yeah, in the stores. So <laughs> exciting. Wow. That's a whirlwind. So did you have to just put, I mean, I know actually what I thought was neat, you were so, what's the word, like self reference, self reflect, self reference in the book because you were writing about writing the book a lot? Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> and do. I, think I, was I thinking, read a lot about writing. Was she talking about a different book or was nope, she writing about this book? Is, I was like, I think yeah. she's talking about writing this book because you're like, I would be writing the book. And I'm like, but now I'm reading the book. Yes. So um, did you have to just stop? That's when your husband actually had to, you were like, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with my house. I have to get this done. And yes. so he had to just step up and do it.
1: Yeah. Things worked out in a really wonderful way. My husband got laid off around the time that I got the book deal. And so he was at home full-time for the first time in our marriage, and it was for four whole months. So I had to write this book very quickly, and I did have to let a lot of stuff go, like I was forced to, whether I wanted to or not. And that really changed our dynamic a lot in those four months. And now that he is back at work, the changes have stuck. It's not the same balance, obviously, because he's not at home full-time, and I'm done writing the book now. But it's a very different sort of marriage than it was before we started this.
0: That's awesome. And I bet you'll be changing a lot of people's marriages out there too. And- I certainly hope so. <laughs> and what do you want to do after this? You have this book, this whirlwind night. Are you, are you going to do like a book tour? or What, what comes next? Um, What comes next
1: is... Just doing interviews right now, and I'm actually starting to work on a next book. All right. So, good for yeah. you.
0: Did you sell it already? or you- No,
1: I we're in the awesome. process of getting everything together. Nonfiction. So, yes. Can you yes. say any more? Uh, no. no, I can't nope. say okay. any more right now, but it, it definitely popped up out of some of the research in this book, so... Related material.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me here. Okay. Oh, wait. Last question. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors out there?
1: Oh, just keep writing. I say, like, a lot of people ask me how this happened and, like, how you can make it happen. And I'm like, it's like winning the lottery if the lottery required you to write every single day. (laughs) So it's a lot of luck and a lot of work. Awesome.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton, bookhampton.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Uh.